Hi, this is Haley Beebe, the Carveline Color Admin. Welcome to the Carveline Tech Service Podcast, the go-to industrial coatings podcast. Here are your hosts, Jack Walker and Paula Janus. This thing's on. <laughs> hey, it sure is. Hey, Paul. Hey, Jack. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah? Yeah. Are you merry and uh, jolly? Getting there. Aren't we supposed to be? Yeah, I gotta finish putting up Christmas decorations, so I don't know if that'll put me more in the mood or take me completely out of the mood. All right, so here's the thing. I am usually Mr. Grinch. Yeah. I don't want to hear the word Christmas till after Thanksgiving, so we've met that. Yep. That They tried check. really hard this year not to, though. Oh, man. I hate Christmas music. And as a musician, that is a hard yeah. leap to to make. What I've what I didn't know is I've learned I've I've trained one of my children <laughs> to hate Christmas music as well. Oh, there you go. And the the other one's still too young to have uh, He's the one I'm making a valiant effort for to be better about Christmas because he <laughs> is super excited. Of course he is. He's a perfect age. Yep. Should be. So yeah. Yep. But no, I'm in my like, why is everybody so happy? Can I just be over here grumpy and angry? <laughs> so if you want to tell me that I'm uh, the Grinch, Scrooge, whoever else, Paul, how would they do that? Okay. So that's a loaded question because if that's what they want to do, they should contact you directly. Oh, you don't want them to email but, all of tech service? No. Oh, okay. But if you got a question... That's relevant to tech service, to the podcast, any anything on the relevant topic other than Jack's grumpiness, you can hit us at technicalservice at carbaline.com. I think there's one other thing. We've kind of, you know, we, we regularly say that we bury the lead, or you yell at me for burying the lead. Yeah. And in this case, we are both guilty of burying the lead Uh-oh. for 108 episodes. <laughs> okay. So there's something that I need you guys to do, and I think we maybe have done this once before, but we probably should end every episode like this, but we're going to start in the middle here. If you like this thing, if you like what we're doing, oh, make yeah. sure that you give us a rating. Uh, go into yeah. iTunes and rate the podcast. It's extremely helpful. That helps other people see That's right. that it exists. So if you think it's worthwhile, go ahead and go in there and tell everybody. Yeah, give it a rating. Put a thumbs up on there. Give us five stars. Yeah. Subscribe. Well, we've definitely told people to subscribe. Yep. Yeah. So rating, I think we did but, maybe in the first couple of episodes, but after that, we've kind of yeah. dropped that ball. It was funny. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and uh, their producer chimed in is like, "You got to tell people to rate it." And they're like, "Oh, I guess we can be a real podcast." <laughs> uh, and, and in my head, I was just like, "Oh man, hundred eight episodes." Yeah. One of my favorite groups that I listen to, they do a really good job of reminding people to subscribe. In, in every one of their episodes. But they don't ever talk about rating it either. Yeah. it's yeah. It helps with the algorithms. Similar to adding comments on a LinkedIn post. Correct. You know, and adding a comment helps boost the, the relevancy yeah. and, and boost what's seen. Mm-hmm. Same thing if you'd put a rating or a comment on, you know, how much you like the podcast. I'm not going to take credit for this joke either, but we're going to move on. We're going to wrap up our wastewater treatment series today. Uh, with episode number six. And as one of our tech service engineers, uh, Christopher Burst, stated so eloquently is, what is that, a two-part series? Number two? Are you on number two? Number two? Yeah. We have been on number two for six straight episodes. That's right. All right, Paul, let's get shirty. All right. So as you've been paying attention, you've seen 
we've covered most of the parts of a wastewater treatment plant. We've talked about the collection. We've talked about the transmission. We've talked about how they move it in, how they start to clean out all the solids in it. We've talked about the clarifiers, the chemicals that are used in the clarifiers, because really up until the point of the clarifier, everything is mechanical. So we don't really get into anything other than the liquid that was already in the stream or the solid that was already in the stream. So then we moved into the chemical process and we talked a little bit about the typical chemicals that are used. You know, we see some caustics, some acids, uh, sodium hypochlorite, you know, the tank linings that you're going to typically see when you're working with those kinds of things. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of the problems that you run into, MIC corrosion, mm-hmm. that you see a lot in mm-hmm. these kinds of tanks. So we've talked about those and how you deal with them from surfacers and fillers and how to restructure a tank, typical types of tank linings that you're going to see. And really what we've been trying to do is when we get to the end, we're trying to turn this shirty water into something we can drink again. Yep. As friend of the show, Mr. Kunkel pointed out, Green initiatives do include a flush to tap. Yeah. And, you know, I just don't think they should tell anybody. <laughs> I think everybody would be fine if they just didn't know. Kind of like making a sausage. You just want to eat it. You don't want to watch them do it, huh? I, I don't need to see the lips and the butts. Yep. yep. So, or maybe we can market bottled water <laughs> to hippies. <laughs> the greenest water. And we could dye it green. Just in case. That way we don't have to worry about the purity level of it. doesn't have to be cloud-free. Correct. Yeah, I see. That's just extra flavor. Yeah. All right, now that you all have simultaneously thrown up, <laughs> let's continue. All right, here we go again. Time to pay the bills. Time to make sure the family gets fed. So, this thing's brought to you by Carbline, if you haven't figured it out by now, because it's called the Carbline Tech Service Podcast. I'd like to take a moment to talk to you about Phenoline Tank Shield and Tank Shield FP. Phenoline Tank Shield and Tank Shield FP have low temperature cure properties, which make them great for use all over the country and all year long. With Tank Shield FP, you can coat a very heavily pitted steel tank and come out with a very smooth lining service. Tank Shield FP is a fantastic pit filling holding primer with an extended recoat window. One of the great advantages about the Phenoline Tank Shield is that it is batch mix, so you can apply it with a single leg airless and it is blush resistant. So anybody who's been around the paint industry for a really long time knows how much blush can be a problem. Well, we're here to tell you that with Phenoline Tank Shield, you will no longer have that problem. So we've also mentioned in some of the secondary containment, one of the things we didn't talk about was the structural buildings that are on site at a at a water treatment facility. Yeah, there's all kinds of things that need coatings yeah. in a facility that actually aren't part of the process. That's or right. house the process or, you know. Yeah, it's all every part of this building, every part of this con- complex has some sort of coating or protection system that's built into it. And some of the chemical resistance needs to be taken into consideration for that. When you, you know, if there's a building and they got chlorine in that building, I, I'm sure the air is going to be yep. highly chlorinated. So you have to take those things into consideration. I would say most often than not, when we are doing the ancillary parts of the plant, where you're going to want the most chemical resistance is when you're doing the floors of areas where there might be a splash and spill. That's right. And so it's not really a secondary containment, but it does need to be chemically resistant. Correct. And we see the same thing on the walls in those areas. If you've got a tank that frequently has uh, chemicals loaded into or out of it, You've got an area that's on high chances of splashes, and you want to put a coating on that wall 
that's going to help be resistant to that. And typically we can get away with normal epoxies in most cases where we don't have to get into something like a highly resistant tank lining. If you're okay with that idea that if you don't... Process areas. Process areas, yeah. yeah. In the offices and stuff, we can go all the way down to acrylics. And even in some of the process areas, depending on what that process is... Well, of course, in the process areas, that's... Well, I'm just making sure that we're, we're, we're clear because you don't need epoxies uh, in areas that don't require right. that. Right. So one of the things that I frequently will ask people when they call in and they say, hey, I've got a chemical fume area. I need it to be fully resistant to this chemical. One of the questions that I frequently will ask is, what type of PPE are the workers using in that area? And if they tell me, well, none... They'd wear their safety shoes and their hard hat, and they wear safety glasses. So if you're not wearing any breathing assistance or purification devices, pretty good chance that the vapor concentration and the chemical concentration in those areas is lower. And that usually is a good indicator that we can get away with not a tank lining level for the walls and ceilings in those areas. Now, the ceilings are usually, there's sometimes there's a little difference because you get some areas where vapors can get trapped. Sure. And if you don't have good airflow, a more chemical-resistant coating works really well in those areas. But walls frequently are able to get away with a little lower level, especially in this type of a facility. Now, there are some chemicals, though, that even though might not require PPE to be in the area, if there was a lot of humidity in the area, yep, could create problems for the steel. Absolutely. So while I like that, there isn't... What I'm saying is, is a guy like Paul and I can argue whatever you throw in front of us. (laughs) Jack's trying to play devil's advocate. uh, Here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, that is a good rule of thumb. However, I mean, in the case of like sulfuric acid, you might be able to be in the area because, I mean, water's not going to pond on you and then lower the concentration and, and actually make it more corrosive. Right. But with steel. Yep. And that is... That's one of the things that you have to look at is what kind of airflow, what kind of ventilation do you have in the area? Sure. If you have areas of stagnant air or areas where it can just accumulate and not move, you're going to get these chemicals that are going to precipitate out. They're going to be there. Humidity comes in. Now you're solubilizing what may have already formed into a salt. Now it's soluble again. And now you've got a liquid and it, it will eat up your steel. Some of them will eat up concrete depending on what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. So you do have to take those into consideration but it opens up a lot more options sure and those are going to be the areas where we're concerned is when you have things like sulfuric acid yep and sodium sodium hydroxide sodium hypochlorite which if you listened last week they're all present somewhere in this facility that's right yeah so now that it's clean this is we'll call this our segue see how i do that yeah not as good as me but you can try we've brought it Full circle, and now you can drink it again. And how you don't want to? That's right. And notice, I did say drink it again. Yeah, because you drank it the first time. Yep, it was drank already once. Drinking it again. I used to live in New Orleans. I had friends that still have them there. Before I lived there, I was always a Midwesterner, Missouri, Ohio, kind of in in the central part of the country. Every once in a while, you know, you get in that little little argument with a friend. And I'd walk into the bathroom and flush the toilet and say, here, I just sent you another drink. And just, just to remind them that I was upstream. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. But yeah. now that we've processed the water, everything's clean, it's all ready. In the next episode, 
we're going to get more into what do you do with that drinking water, with that clean, potable water now that the wastewater treatment facility created. Because that's really what they were doing. They were creating purified water. Mm-hmm. And not in all cases. There are situations where they're just cleaning it good enough to dump it back into a natural body of water. But there are some plants out there that you're seeing more and more flush to bottle plants. And so, yes. or flush to tap. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a little bit at the storage of potable water right. and what we do to combat that and how we handle that. You're going to see a lot of things are going to be similar. You know, we're going to be talking about some of the same things, but we'll get into more the different types of standards and the different agencies that we, that we work with in potable water. Absolutely. So remember to rate the podcast and uh, enjoy yourselves. We'll see you next week. And so for the Carboline Tech Service Podcast, I'm Paul. And I'm Jack. And we'd like, like to, to thank, thank you for your support. Who put the line in? Carbaline, who put the line in? Carbaline, no matter where I go, they don't know what I mean. I say Carbaline, but they say.